O Lord Jesus, O Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we just come to you under the cleansing and covering of your precious blood. We thank you, Lord, that your blood answers before God every accusation of the enemy, covers all our mistakes, our failures, our sins, our lawlessness. Lord, we're here not because we're good. We're here not because we're uh, so uh, successful. Lord, we're gathered here to seek your face. We're here to have a deeper seeking after you. Lord, we need you so much. You know this age is so dark and the situation is very, very serious. We just pray, even this, even now as we're gathered, we just pray for your mercy. Meet us in this conference, this parents' conference, session after session, meeting after meeting. Meet us again and again. Pour in the oil and wine. Supply us, Lord, in every way to face uh, the situation. Oh, Lord, the grievous times, these days. Oh, even like the days of Noah. We just call on you, Lord. We pray, Lord, appear. Appear in this message, this first message of the conference. We come as open vessels to you. Lord, we're not here. Oh, seeking some methods, seeking some way. Lord, we're here seeking you. You are our our goal. You're our pursuit. Lord, we're seeking the salvation of your face. May you shine on us. May you visit us. May you be with us. Lord, we give this uh, whole conference to you. We pray in your precious and wonderful name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, it's again time for the Poland Parents and Children's Conference. My, it just seems that these years go by so fast. And yet this time, uh, again, we're on lockdown. We're restricted. We're not able to gather together in Poland in a physical way. We really feel bad for the the young people. Uh, I believe this pandemic, this lockdown has had the most severe effect on our young generation in our children. And so this parents' conference comes at a very particular time and in a particular kind of situation. And I'd just like to open my heart to you and just uh, let you know how much uh, we are burdened for the parents, burdened for the children, burdened for our next generation, burdened for how, how you will speak. You know, I really just come to open my heart and to flow out the triune God that has been wrought into me. We have five outlines. We believe these five outlines will really minister to us. Um, you know, in, in my experience and in my seeking after the Lord, my time with the Lord, my uh, pursuing of the Lord, it was over 10 years ago that there was a real light shining that the Lord needs young people. He needs the next generation before he could end this age. When the Lord wants to change the age, he always goes to young people. And so we began to pray and seek the Lord in a desperate way 
what steps we could take, what action we could apply, what vision the Lord has given us through the ministry, how we could prepare for the Lord, a people made ready. And we saw the last verse of the Old Testament, right before the great turn of the age of the Old Testament to the New Testament. There was a prophecy concerning the coming of John the Baptist and the uh, comparison or the prophetic type of the coming of Elijah. And the verse there at the end of Malachi chapter 5, verse 6, it prophesies that he would turn the hearts of the, of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And this became kind of a, a mantra, a, a, a theme among us, that the Lord would really turn our hearts, the hearts of this older generation, the hearts of the generation, the generation, even the older generation that has passed through so many experiences, has enjoyed the Lord, has seen the Lord, has been caught by the Lord, that there would be such a organic, blended coordination between these two generations, blending the older generation with the younger generation. We saw this in the example of Noah and his sons. We saw it again in the example of Samuel and his mother. Again, we see it in John the Baptist and his parents and how the older generation and the younger generation really blended together in the same vision as in the case of Noah, in the same consecration as in the case of Samuel and Hannah, and in the case of John the Baptist, in the case of being in the right position and being positioned and being infused by the parents with the word of God, with the prophecy of Isaiah, a voice of one crying in the wilderness. The word of God, the prophecies concerning him were infused into him by his parents until he became the fulfillment of that word. Well, we are really looking to the Lord. As we know we are approaching the end of this age, we don't know how long the Lord will delay 10 years, 20 years, we know it's soon. We know it is soon. And so this places upon us, particularly the parents, the older generation, and those of us who have a heart and a burden, the serving ones, the leading ones, the co-workers and the elders, the responsible brothers, to really foster this burden of raising up our next generation. You know, previously, in our work with the children and young people in campus, we considered them as three separate sections of a big pipeline. And we were always concerned that somewhere along the way, in this pipeline, there would be cracks or leaks. And between these sections, the children's work and the young people's work, we would lose some of our young people. And then between junior high and senior high, again, we would lose a few more. And then between the senior high and the college or the campus, again, there would be a loss. And by the time what came into the pipeline flows out, 12 years later, would be 
only about 50%. And so this tragic, oh, this heartbreaking, uh, tragic, tragic loss of our second generation also uh, just caused us to be desperate, to really be desperate, to know the Lord, to know his mind. You know, uh, this, this is a great thing. And this is a heavy burden. And you know, this burden has been upon me and some of my other brothers, co-workers, for years. For years and years, we have not been released from this burden. And so we're seeking. We're still praying. We're still seeking the Lord so much concerning our next generation. You know, we found a a ministry quote. We found a tape, actually, a recording of Brother Lee. And he was talking about how the campus work depends so much on the high school work. And the high school work depends so much on the junior high work. And the junior high work depends very much on the children's work. And then he summarized in this way. He said they all work together as one piece. So to our knowledge, to our understanding, Brother Lee never used this kind of expression, a pipeline. But he did say that this is all one piece. It's like a piece of land it's like a, a, a farm. And on this farm, there may be sections. And sections that need focus. Some need to focus on the children. Some need to focus on the junior high, the high school. And some need to focus on the campus. But this is just one field. And one field with no fences, no separation. And we're seeking the Lord. And I hope you'll pray that the Lord would lead us in this way to blend. You know, this is really the the age of blending. This is really the age of blending. And the Lord needs to blend the campus work, the children's work, the junior high and the high school work all together in one blended coordination. You know, I don't think it's so pleasing to the Lord that we have our our own work, our own separate field, our own separate burden without the view, without the without the view of the body, without the view of God's eternal economy. And so saints, even as we gather again, there's another factor heavy burden. We are living in the most unprecedented time. When my children were growing up, it was not like today. Even the last 10 years, things have changed so radically that we are completely unprepared. We have no idea. We have no way to know what to do, how to lead, But I'll tell you this, well, that means that 
what comes out of this conference is so strategic. I believe the Lord will give us some clear leading and direction about how to care for our children and young people according to God's economy. The general subject is vital factors in caring for children and young people according to God's economy. Their vital factors means they're vital. We can't, you know, we have vital signs. You know, you check your vital signs to see if you're still alive. You have vital organs. You can't live without them. And now we're going to explore some vital factors for caring. It doesn't say for teaching. It doesn't say for uh, educating, but it says for caring for children and young people according to God's economy. So the focus of this conference is going to be mostly on the parents. It will not involve how-tos, methods. It will not involve uh, teachings so much as we're just going to fellowship. We're just going to fellowship. You might ask, what's a factor? You know, this is interesting. If it's a vital factor, what does factor mean? Well, let me tell you a definition. A factor is something that actively contributes to a process, result, or accomplishment. We believe that these are vital factors, that they're, they're a, uh, an item, they're something that's going to actively contribute to the result, to the accomplishment of God's eternal economy. So while we live in this dark age, while we live in unprecedented uh, issues, I can assure you that none of us have a roadmap. None of us have big answers. We just want to join you. We just want to come alongside and fellowship some things that we are assured of. And so the first item that we, ha- we are so sure of, and that is God. Praise the Lord, we have God. The second thing that we have that we are so sure of, while everything else may come into question, may everything else be challenged, opposed, opined about, We have God's word. We have God. We have his word. His word is sure. His word is unchanging. His word is established. It will never change. It is steadfast. We can rest in it. We can hide in it. We can take God's word as a refuge. And the third item that we have and we are assured of is God's economy. God's economy. Brothers and sisters, we didn't come to this conference to speak to you as any kind of experts, as any kind of... We don't have any how-tos, 
You know, I mentioned this before. We're not experts in this. We're not, you know, Dr. Phil. We're not Dr. Spock back in my day. We're not doctors. We're just your brothers. We have a burden. We have a heart. We stand with you. We bear you. We're here to fellowship. God, his word, and God's economy. This is what we have. But let me tell you what we don't have. We're not coming to bring any wood. We're not here to build with wood, grass, and stubble. We didn't come with philosophy. We didn't come with, oh, any kind of opinions, any kind of methods. We're not going to do that to you. We're going to be faithful to God, his word, and his economy. We don't have answers. We're not going to give you how-tos. You know, in 1969, in the spring, and in 1970, in the spring, <clears throat> Brother Lee had two informal trainings. And these both were printed, published in a book called How to Meet. And you'd think by reading this book, <clears throat> you could learn how to meet, how to have a meeting. But you could read that book from one end to the other, and you don't get any how-tos you get God's economy. You get the processed and consummated triune God dispensed into his people to become them, their way. And so he becomes the way through his dispensing. So we could say the way is the person. And so this week, this weekend, all of the messages are going to be on our person. And this touches God's economy. But I, before we start <clears throat> on the outline, there is something that I need to settle before you at the very beginning. You know, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, 4, there's a verse. It says, And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but nurture them in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Paul addresses the fathers directly. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't get them into the flesh because of your anger. You have to be under the cross and you have to not stir up their flesh, but you have to nurture them in the admin, in the discipline an admonition of the Lord. You know, this includes the Word of God. A footnote on admonition is very interesting. It says, admonition includes instruction. Parents should instruct their children with the Word of God. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Teaching them to know the Bible. Then it says, however, how the children develop depends on God's mercy. From the very outset of this conference, we have to settle something very clearly in our being. Brothers and sisters, our raising our children cannot determine 
the spiritual future of our children. Their salvation, their seeking of the Lord, all depends on God's uh, selection and predestination. In that marvelous book, A Word of Love to the Co-workers, Elders, Lovers, and Seekers of the Lord, Brother Lee said this, I've seen many devoted Christians. This is from pages 12 and 13. This is for the benefit of the translators. I've seen many devoted Christians. Among them, one was Brother Nee. Not all of Brother Nee's brothers were properly saved. Brother Nee's mother was a sister who loved the Lord very much. It is no wonder that she would weep for her sons. I've seen many others like this. Even among us, there are many good sisters who love the Lord very much and pray for their children nearly every day, even though their children do not believe. You know, you know the story of Watchman Nee, how he went to Trinity College and he preached the gospel. Nearly everyone in his school got saved, yet even in his own family, not all of them were properly saved. How can this be? On the other hand, some parents are not so devoted, yet their children love the Lord. This seems so unrighteous, so unfair. Very, some very devoted, consecrated parents, their children do not love the Lord. And then some saints who are not so absolute, not so devoted, and their children love the Lord. This is what Brother Lee said. Eventually, I have bowed down before the Lord. The Lord's word is true. We should raise up our children according to the Lord's teaching. This is our duty, and we should do it. But eventually, their salvation And their seeking of the Lord depend upon God's eternal choosing and predestination. If our raising of our children could decide their spiritual future, this would be against God's predestination. Whether they are chosen or not, have been chosen or not, is not up to us. Some would say, Because it's not up to us, we do not need to do much. However, this is also wrong. Brothers and sisters, it depends on God's mercy. It depends on his selection. His selection and his predestination. In another portion, in the book called Basic Principles Concerning the Eldership, this was from... December 1978, in some meetings Brother Lee had with the elders in the newly formed churches in Orange County. Pages 49 to 51, he's talking the same thing. That the basic need in a family is the father's example. Like Paul, Brother Lee zeroes in on the fathers. As a father, an elder must live properly before his family. This is the proper way to manage one's house. In our home, we should not try to exercise our authority as a king 
law officer, administrator, or school principal, God's ordained principle is that a father must live a life that is a pattern, an example to his children. He goes on, however, if our children are in subjection with all gravity, we should not think that this is because of our doing. Instead, we have to worship the Lord for his mercy. Although the disposition of our children is not under our control, this does not mean we can neglect our duties to live as an example, to spend as much time and energy as we can on our children. Nevertheless, we must realize that the way our children turn out ultimately depends on the Lord's mercy. We know this is true because of if two children are siblings raised by the same parents with the same care, they may turn out very different. <clears throat> Look at Jacob and Esau. Consider Cain and Abel, both born of godly parents. Gospel preached to Cain and Abel. One took it. One did not. The one that did not murdered the other one. Consider Jacob's son, uh, Jacob and Esau, the sons of Isaac and Rebekah. <clears throat> Jacob I have loved. Esau I have hated. Two very, very different outcomes. This was decided by God's selection, not by their parenting. <clears throat> Therefore, we must do our duty, listen, to live a proper life as an example to our children. But we should not be discouraged. I hope there's none here listening to this word in a discouraged, guilty kind of condition. We should not be discouraged or proud because of how our children turn out. Two things. Some of us could be proud. <clears throat> our children all turned out great. All went to the training, full-time training, all serving. We could be so proud. We know how to raise children. We know how to raise them in the best way. We might think we're, we're an expert. We may have opinions about how the saints are doing this. <clears throat> but here it says we should not be proud and it also says we should not be discouraged. So much here, even more. If our living establishes a proper standard, we're not liable if our children turn out badly, behave badly. However, if we do not live as a pattern, our children's bad behavior is our responsibility. If they are good, the credit does not go to us. But if they're bad, we receive the debit. This is the divine accounting. We should not ascribe anything to our goodness. We have to acknowledge God's predestination, his mercy, and his grace. If our children begin to live sinfully, we must humble ourselves, praying, Lord, forgive me. I accept the blame because I may have neglected to adequately care for them in some aspect. This must be our attitude. Saints, I feel that this kind of word 
at the very beginning of this conference is really urgently needed. Because we have to be very clear. I just showed you three times in the ministry where Brother Lee points out that it all depends on God's mercy. We must live as a pattern and then we have to pray for the Lord's mercy. Okay? So let's come to the outline. All right? In this first message, seeing the vision of God's economy and realizing that we are God-men to live the life of a God-man. So here we have two things, seeing a vision and living according to that vision. This is the definition of a revival, seeing a vision and then living the vision, living out what we've seen. And saints, I believe we're all on the way. I'm not saying this. I'm not presenting this. I don't have the feeling that uh, this needs to be shared because we've never seen the vision and that we don't have a God-man living. I believe we have seen a vision. I believe we do, to some extent, have a kind of God-man living uh, in our practical daily life, in our married life. But it helps us to review this vision and to review and consider our, our living according to what we've seen. Here it uses two words, seeing the vision and realizing. This vision has to penetrate our understanding, even has to penetrate our daily experience. This will revolutionize us. Roman 1, seeing the vision of God's economy. Oh, saints, may the Lord open our eyes again in a fresh way to see the vision of God's economy. I've shared this many times, and I'll mention it briefly, that the outstanding characteristic of seeing the vision of God's economy is to see the vision that we are, that we need to be open vessels. Two words, open vessels. These two words define 14 epistles of Paul. They define our practice, our daily practice, our daily living has to be characterized by opening, opening again and again and again. Saints, I saw this. This became vividly clear to me many years ago, and it has affected my living every day since then. Without, without, without exception, every day for me is a day to open again to the Lord. I learned this because I was troubled by many things. My marriage, my children, my job, what I was passing through, my relationship with the brothers. It seems like there were so many things that just were not right. They were not right. They were not righteous. They were not up to the standard. It bothered me. It bothered me. And then I learned, open it. Open it. Open up those wounds between you and your wife. Open up those offenses between you and the brothers. Open up your unhappiness about the children. 
open up your career, your dreams, your financial problems. Open them. Just say it. Lord, I open this to you. I open my marriage to you. When I saw this, and then I began to practice this in a very specific and detailed way, I opened everything. Eventually, my mind, emotion, my will, my heart, my conscience, my spirit, my intuition, whatever I could think of, whatever I was conscious of, I opened it. And I opened it by speaking, Lord, I open to you. Now listen to this. We've got some very precious words here. A, the divine and eternal economy is second only to God himself. His economy, listen, is his good pleasure. It's a mystery. The Ephesians defines it as the, the mystery. Uh, what is the, you know, the economy of the mystery? It talks about the good pleasure of his will. It talks about his eternal purpose. The, eco- the divine economy is second only to God. We have to know God and we have to know his economy. As a parent, this is most, most urgent. We want our kids to know not only God, we want them to observe and learn by example. God's economy. B, definitions, excuse me, definitions of God's economy. Okay, let's, let's look at some of these definitions. One, an economy is an arrangement for getting things done. God has a big plan. He has a grand, lofty will. You can read about it in the last two chapters of the Bible. It's called the New Jerusalem. And it is the ultimate mingling of divinity with humanity. This is what God is doing. This is what he wants to get done. In order to do that, he has to enter and mingle himself with open vessels. He needs people wide open. And so he arranges things. There's an arrangement. There's a marriage arrangement. There's a child arrangement. There's a health arrangement and a financial arrangement. There's even political arrangements. There's arrangements in every aspect of our environments. And every one of them has only one goal. And that goal is to open up these vessels so that he can mingle himself with you and make his home down deep in our hearts. That's why you're married to that brother, to that sister. That's why you're having maybe some difficulties at your job or maybe this child. You know, sometimes when I'm with young saints, they just want to be married so bad. They feel like, if I can't find someone in the church, then I I need to go to the world. I need to go to some website, some social media. I need to find somebody online. They're desperate, and I sympathize. Oh, I sympathize. My heart breaks. 
There's some dear sisters, dear brothers, who just seem can't seem to connect. This is what is this? This is an arrangement. This is an arrangement. And so what do you do? You calm yourself down and you open your whole being and you ask the Lord to come in and mingle himself with you there. So being single is hard. Oh, it's hard. And then then you get married. You get married to that sister. You get married to that brother. Sorry. Sorry, I'm smiling. You thought it was going to be so, so precious. And it was. And then it wasn't. And then the wounds come. The hurts come. And the distance comes. And that's hard. I don't know what's harder. Being single or being in a difficult marriage. But I know it's an arrangement. And then you want to have a child. You pray. You take action. You you begin to seek the Lord for a child. And then you can't get married. You can't get pregnant. And that's a suffering. And that's an arrangement. And then you have a child. And the child is a naughty child. Or the child has some issues. Physical, emotional, psychological. Brothers and sisters, not having children is hard. Having children is hard. You see, everything is hard. No one has it easy. And all of this has a goal. The New Jerusalem. The ultimate mingling of divinity with humanity. Are you happy with God's arrangement in your life? You know, saints, I've passed through some things. My wife and I, we lost our oldest daughter three and a half years ago. Heartbreaking. Utterly devastating. It's an arrangement. Yes, I'm human. Yes, it was the hardest thing I've passed through in my whole life. But I know what God's doing. I know his plan. And I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm going to get mingled. I'm going to allow him to mingle me in the relationship of every one of my children. That he can make his home in that part of my heart. I'm not reserving, closing off that section. Lord, you can't touch my children. No. He knows. I'm wide open. Sorry. Talk about myself. You may know my dear wife, my precious wife, over 50 years, is also struggling with some health issues. It's an arrangement. We asked the Lord to gain us at whatever cost. We asked him to make us beings of the new Jerusalem. And in his faithfulness, he has brought us on a certain pathway that we never expected. We could never imagine. Yet, the mingling goes on. You can't believe what the Lord has done in my wife. It is so delightful 
so delightful for me to know, to see, to experience. She's an open vessel. She's an open vessel. Things are hard, but she's open. Sorry to talk about this. Number two, God's economy is God's plan to dispense himself into his chosen, predestinated, and redeemed people as their life, their life supply, and their everything. Brothers and sisters, it's very good that we start this conference with God's economy. Because sometimes these kind of words can just flow off our lips. But what does this mean? God's economy is God's plan to dispense himself. Well, you have to realize, you know, we're not that easy. We're like that naughty child who will not swallow the medicine. He's dying. He's sick with a high fever. It's dangerous. Yet he will not open his mouth. And he's fighting. He's fighting the whole time. God only wants to come in, to be everything to us. He has a great plan to get himself with all that he is into us. Our cooperation is to just open, to be our life. Lord, I open to you for you to be my life, to be my supply every day, to come to him again and again and again. You know, recently, my wife and I were were talking a little bit about our experience with the Lord. In the mornings, coming to the Lord, having a time with the Lord, how crucial that is for both of us. And she made a comment that was very real. She said, you know, Tom, I can tell it, well, let me let me explain. When I'm in Irvine with, with her, I have a lot of early morning meetings because of Europe and because I'm nine hours behind Germany. So I have to get up early in the morning and I get right on Zoom. And I don't get to have my morning time with the Lord until two hours later, if at all, because so many pressing matters. And she said to me, so I was complaining that being in Irvine has really messed up my morning times with the Lord. And that's when she said, you know, I can tell when you haven't had your time with the Lord because you're more, you know, I can't, I can't recall the word, but it was kind of, you're, you're on edge. You're short. You're kind of harsh. And so, It matters when we take God as our life supply and everything. Three, another definition. God's economy is God becoming a man that man may become God. The goal is for you to become God in life, in nature. (laughs) This stuff is just so common to us. Not in the Godhead. This is not heresy, to produce the organic body of Christ 
This is what the entire age is waiting for, for you and me to become God in life and nature, but not in the Godhead, to produce the organic body of Christ, which will consummate in the new Jerusalem. So we come to see God's New Testament economy is, look at all these is's, and one, an economy is, two, God's economy is, three, God's economy is, see, God's New Testament economy is for the processed triune God to be wrought into us, to become our life and our very being. This word wrought means that God is working himself. He's working himself. It's not a simple process. It's not an easy process. It comes with resistance. It comes with uh, obstacles. The soil in Matthew 13 has stones, rocks in it, has the wayside, has thorns and thistles. It's not easy to grow the kingdom of God in the hearts of his people. But once we realize what God's New Testament economy is, we can cooperate. We can cooperate with him. Point D says, in his economy, God intends, oh, I love these kind of words, God intends that his people enjoy himself as the processed and consummated triune God and become one with him. This is what he wants. He wants us to enjoy him. Him. Point E, God's economy requires our cooperation. And to cooperate with God means to be bound together with Christ. This is like the point becoming one with him. We're bound together with Christ to have one living with him by one life. <laughs> you know, he said it's like a three-legged race. The best example of cooperation is with Hannah. She is an example of a mother who gave God the best cooperation. And what came out of Hannah was a Samuel, <clears throat> a man who was used by God to change the age. It came out of a prayer. You could even say that the changing of the age was hinging on a mother's desperate prayer. She realized somehow that God had a need. She realized through her experience, through her human weakness, that she also had a need. I mentioned some have a need for marriage. Some have a need for a child. Some have a need for a better job. Some have a need here or there. When you realize that your need lines up with God's need and you're ready to take care of God's need and you pray for God's need, Samuel will come. Samuel will come. This is a model. This is an example. She realized God had a need. 
So she prayed, Lord, you give me, you meet my need. I'm meeting your need. This is to be bound together with Christ, to have one life, one living with him. Point F, instead of usurping God by praying for our prosperity, health, or family without any consideration of God's economy, we should pray, live, and be persons according to God's heart and for his economy. You know, I was so shepherded, really shepherded, by my oldest daughter, Rebecca, in the final nine months of her life, from the time she was diagnosed until she breathed her last breath. She taught me something. She taught me that just to pray for her healing. Just to pray, Lord, heal her. Lord, heal her. Oh, Lord, heal her. Without any consideration of God's economy. Was usurping God. Even now with my wife, we don't dare pray for God, for healing. You might think this is strange. It's not strange. You know, the children of Israel, at the time of Samuel, they took the ark out into battle. They lost the battle. The ark was captured by the Philistines. That's an example of usurping God. In the history of the children of Israel, the ark always took the lead. It always took the lead in the move of God, in battle, in moving, in traveling through the wilderness, in going into the good land. It was always the ark that led. It wasn't the generals. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't Joshua. It was the ark. They all followed the ark. And you know, brothers and sisters, the children of Israel took the ark where the ark had no intention of going. The ark wasn't going into battle, but they brought the ark into battle, usurping God, taking God and using him for their benefit, for their success, for their prosperity. When we pray for our prosperity, our health, even our children, our families, oh, without any consideration of God's economy, this is to usurp God. We should pray, live, and be persons according to God's heart for his economy. You know, we prayed like this. Lord, do you want us to live for a longer time? We're here on this earth only for you, for your interests, and for your move. Do you want us to live for a longer time? If so, work it out. Through the doctor, through the treatments, through any means. All are at your disposal. Do it for your will. Do it for your move. Do it for your interests. This honors him, and this does not usurp him. G, 
when God's economy is carried out among his people, they are blessed. Brothers and sisters, we are so blessed. We're the most blessed people on the whole earth. In message five, we're going to touch something about the Lord's blessing. You might need to wait. But let me just tell you this. My wife and I have passed through so many things. Some people would say sufferings. I would just tell you, we're the most blessed people. We've been blessed by this. I had a business failure. That was a blessing. Now I'm serving full time. (laughs) Certainly not a qualification for serving full time. My daughter became ill. She passed away. Today, in resurrection, what a blessing. All the things we pass through, all the mistakes, all the failures, all the sufferings, because we know God's economy, they have all become a blessing. Our welfare, our well-being is linked to the carrying out of God's economy. And we should not seek our well-being apart from God's economy. Matthew 6.33, we have to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. We should not expect prosperity for ourselves. Rather, we should expect that through us, the Lord will do as much as possible to accomplish his economy. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord through us take big steps in the accomplishment of his economy. We don't need prosperity. We don't need a lot of money for this. We just need to be wide open for this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Three, today the Lord is blessing us in every way for the fulfillment of his economy to build up the body of Christ. Again, the goal is the ultimate mingling of God and man. And he is doing everything. He's working us. He's working in us. He's blessing us in every way. You know, Joseph in the Old Testament, in the last part of Genesis, hated by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused, put into prison, forgotten in prison, Every one of those things became a blessing to him because what came out of that prison was a king. If you ask Joseph, and he said this twice, he said, don't blame yourselves. God brought me here. So you could say Joseph was blessed by his brother's hatred, by being thrown in a pit, by being sold into slavery, by being falsely accused. Everything blessed him. Everything equipped him. Everything turned out to salvation. He was blessed in so many ways. Please don't take this the wrong way. But everything blesses us. We cannot lose. We can only gain. We only win when we know God's economy. Well, we have to go on quicker. So now we come to Roman 2.
realizing that we are God-men to live the life of a God-man. John 1, 12 and 13, cru- crucial verses where it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave authority to become the children of God. Authority to become the children of God to those who believe in his name, into his name, who were begotten, not of blood, <clears throat> not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. Begotten of God. That is not a figure of speech. That we are all children of God. I hear this uh, spoken by politicians. I hear this kind of language used. Oh, you know, we're all God's children, you know, whether we're like this or that, or we have this kind of sexual orientation. We're all God's children. No, we are born of God. We are the species of God. In John 3, 3, it says, oh, where did I put this? Oh, Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In John 3, 5, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit. Wasn't it the spirit that conceived the Lord Jesus in the womb of Mary? And we are born of the spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of the species of God. There's the animal kingdom. There's the plant kingdom. There's the kingdom of of this kind of animal or that kind of animal. And we are the kingdom of the God-man species. The kingdom of God is referring to species here. Not to just some kind of uh, external kingdom of Israel, like the ruling empire, nor is it a kingdom of God in a theoretical ruling reigning sense. This kingdom of God in John chapter 3 is speaking about the species of God. Brothers and sisters, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation, a new item in God's creation. It's a hybrid. It's a hybrid life. It's a life of the mingling of divinity with humanity. We are sons of God, having God's life and nature of the species of God. Brothers and sisters, We have to realize this. Oh, realize. This word realize appears in this outline again and again. A, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I need to read this verse from 1 John chapter 3. I hope you'll love this verse. These two verses actually, John, 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Listen to me, read this. Behold, What manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And we are. Oh, you need to underline those three words. Maybe those six words. We should be called children of God. And we are. (laughs) 
Saints, we're not just called children of God. It's not a figure of speech. We are. I have a son. He's my child. He has my life, my nature, my blood. He's my offspring. He belongs to me, not in ownership, but in life, in nature. He may not like it, but he is my child. In the same way, God is our father. He's our dad. No no disrespect. He is our dad. Okay, let me go on. Because of this, the world does not know us. Because we're not that kind. We're not that kind anymore. Because it did not know him. It did not know the God-man Jesus. They could not relate. They couldn't understand. They didn't know what they were seeing because he was divine and human. And the same way, the world does not know us because we are human yet divine. We are this new species, this new creation in the universe. In the whole universe, there's this new item. It's God-mankind. It's not mankind. It's God-mankind. Verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. We are. Again, now we are. I love those words. And it has not yet been manifested what we will be. That's when we're fully matured in life, we're transformed in our soul, we're glorified in our bodies. What? It has not yet been manifested. It's like the seed, the carnation seed is there and it's growing. But that carnation seed looks ugly when it goes in. It's nice green sprout. It looks a little bit hopeful. But my, in that day when the blossom comes out, it has not yet been manifested what we will be. We know. Do you know? Are you that assured? We know that if he is manifested, we will be like him. It will be like a a field of carnations. He's there. We're there. We will be like him because we will see him even as he is. He sees us. We see him. Brothers and sisters, what does it take for us to realize what we are? What we are. When we realize it, it changes everything. You know, I like to use the example of uh, England. You know, they have the the royalty there, the king and the queen. And and then you have uh, Kate and and, and Philip, uh, the prince, and Kate, and they have a child. Their firstborn son is George. I think he's third in line to the throne. You know, the brothers in England know this much better than me. I'm an American. We don't have that. But, you know, George is this little kid. You know, he was so cute when he was born, and you see him all dressed up in the pictures, and he's strutting around, and, 
You know, I don't know if he goes to school with the other kids. Probably not. He probably has tutors and he lives in this this castle or this kingdom or this mansion somewhere and he's waited on hand and foot by oh maids and butlers and cared for and but in his mind he's just a kid. And he has a conscience and he messes up and he spills the milk and wets his pants. He's like a little kid. I don't know when it is. You know, they're training him. They're educating him. They're giving him the top education, the top etiquette. They're training his character to to an extreme. He can't be like anybody else. He doesn't quite realize why. He doesn't understand. He's just a kid. He just thinks, wow, we got a cool house. But one day, one day, his dad, his grandpa, his great-grandmother, someone's going to sit him down and have a talk with him. And they're going to tell him, George, you're King George. You are King George. You're not King George yet. You're King George in training. That's why you live here. That's why you dress the way you dress. That's the way, that's why you got the education you got. That's why, oh, that's why everything. And you have to realize, George, that you are a royal seed. You are a king. You can't talk like everybody. You can't go places like everybody. You can't dress like everybody. You're a king man. You're a king man. And so all of a sudden it hits him. Wow, I'm a king. I have to, oh, oh, I'm a king. Don't you know I'm a king? Maybe he's talking to his little car, his little truck, his little, you know, G.I. Joe. Don't you know I'm a king? You see, it dawns on him. Little by little. But he gets it. He gets it through mistakes. He says something he shouldn't say. His mouth gets slapped. Oh, you're a king. You can't talk like that. You can't use those words. You see, point one says, to know who we are and to realize who we are revolutionizes us. Saints, we all need this revolution because our children are watching. Our children need to see a God-man mom and a God-man dad talking to each other, talking about each other, not with little barbs, not with little cruel words. How they talk to you, how they talk to the children, how they behave themselves, not only in the meetings, not only with the saints, but even at home. They're a king not only in the meeting, they're a king at home. Point two, as the regenerated children of God, we are God in life and in nature, belonging to the same species as God and having God's gene. I think I covered this. Point three, if we realize that as children of God, 
We are God in life and in nature. We will be radically changed. The atmosphere and everything related to us will also be changed. Saints, I think I was mostly impressed with this matter in my driving. Of all things, my driving. You know, in in America, maybe it's just Southern California, you would say that the drivers are angry, angry drivers. In Germany, you don't get that same impression. They're not, they're strict legal drivers. Of course, if you are loose and careless, you might stir up their anger, but in general, they follow the rules. But let me ask you, how does a God-man drive? Does a God-man drive mad? Is he angry when someone cuts him off? I often thought about the Lord, you know, when he was with the disciples. You know, just even a grunt or a, or a, oh, all these kinds of things convey what we think of ourselves or what we know about ourselves. Some of us, the way we talk about our wife to her or to others is demeaning. No wonder our children speak to their mother like that. How does a God-man talk to his wife? You know, the, John wrote at the end of the Gospel of John in chapter 20, he said, if everything was written down, there's not enough books in the whole world that could contain everything because they'd have to write down every glance, every, every going to bed, every waking up in the morning. They'd have to write everything down because everything was a God-man living in front of them. Point four, if all of today's Christians realized that they were God in life and in nature, the whole world would be changed. Saints, I'm thinking, if just those of us that are here, if we all realized that we were a God-man, Europe would be changed. Europe would have a radical change. At least our family would change, our family life. Does a God-man talk like that? Does a God-man drive like that? We have to ask ourselves, may this light come to us again and again and again. I'm a God-man. I can't speak like that. I can't use those words. Even I'm at the office. Even I'm with my coworkers. Even I'm having lunch with unbelievers. Colleagues, how does a God-man talk? How does he conduct himself when he's with others? Point five, when we think of ourselves as God-men, this thinking, this realization revolutionizes us in our daily experience. Saints, these words, radical change, realization, revolution, Oh, these are words. May we pray over all of these points until we get such a deep realization of who we are. Okay, let's continue. Living the life of a God-man. 
We need to learn how, learn how to have a God-man living in all the details of our daily life. Do we live Christ at home with our husband or our wife, with our children? We need a real revival to be God-men who live a life of always denying ourselves and being crucified to live Christ for the expression of God. We need to walk in all things according to the Spirit. We need to be warned and be on the alert that whatever we say, whatever we do, whatever we express, our attitude, our spirit, our intention must be purified by the life-giving, compound, all-inclusive spirit. Saints, we will learn this only by failures, by mistakes, by repenting, confessing, and opening up again. But saints, this is the start of our parents' conference. Starting with God's economy. Starting with a God-man living. Because this becomes the foundation for this whole weekend. May the Lord really speak to us much more than what I can say. I'm sorry, I just feel so restricted, so limited. My, my ability to convey all that is in my heart. May we just have some prayer together and then open this up, either for sharing or for some group time, whatever the brothers have planned. I stop here.